second chapter, Philippians chapter number two. When we ended last night where we ended, I was not sure if we would continue or move along. Kim Johnson said she would pray, so obviously the Lord answered your prayer. I just wanted to pray against you to see who would win, but you won, so no, seriously, I'm just kidding. Uh, This series of messages have helped me. Um, I'm not speaking of the skill set of preaching. I'm speaking of the Word of God. Um, Anybody get tested on being a servant today? (laughs) Me too. Again, it's like, okay, every day now, Lord, is this what we're going to do? And uh, it was awkward. And uh, I was at the hotel and I was reading on my bed. And the uh, housekeeping person came in. She thought she was on a different floor, walked straight in the room, and I really wasn't dressed for any guest at all. And my just visceral response was, uh, and as soon as I thought of anything to say, I said, can I help you? Because what I really wanted to say was, what are you doing in here? But you know, God gives us these moments And he teaches us about being a servant. Not so much for the church work. For the soul work. That my response should have been different than anybody else's. And she was so scared. Bless her heart. Just a tiny little thing. And she said, it's on the paper. You're not supposed to be in here. I said, it's okay. But the the room to which you're pointing is on the floor below us. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. I said, it's okay. Life's too short to get upset. It's fine. But you know, Brother Ivan, if you're in here. We have some of our missionaries that are union and they get breaks. That's all I can tell you. But there will be challenges that come in the ministry. There will be challenges that come in your day-to-day life. This matter of make me a servant will change you for a lifetime. But more importantly, it will change those around you. I don't want to live a life that I just came and went. I want to make a difference. These passages of Scripture that we've been studying together have helped me in this regard. I don't know if I can take another event in the morning, but we'll see what happens. I think I'll just put a suit and tie on, and when she comes in, I'll be ready. Wow. You walk in, surprise! Oh, hi. Philippians chapter 2. Would you stand with me for the public reading of the Word of God? If you're physically able, if you're not, it's, it's just okay. Stay seated. It's no problem. Philippians chapter number 2, verse 1. If there be any, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other 
better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You recall, this is where we were last night. This is how we got to where we're going to be tonight. Verse 5. Let this mind, the mind of the one that we just read a moment ago, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted, also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you pray with me? Dear Father, thank you for letting us talk about the servant's mind last night how we ought to think. And tonight, as we look at the servant's example, may we see you in us, and may we see you working through us, and may we be what pleases you. For this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last night, we took some time and dwelt on You will know a servant by their manners, the way they conduct themselves. You'll look at somebody, and like I was talking to you about being challenged by this lady, just by happenstance comes into the room. It's a little awkward, and I'm there, and I say, you know, uh, can I help you? And uh, it's that moment where you say, if I responded differently, what would her thought have been? So it takes a decision, it takes a mindset, it takes thoughts. And Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and forward, give us this example, if you will, by principle. There's two examples I want to give you tonight. One is just by principle, and let's talk about what those are. How do you know a servant of the Lord? How do you know he is who he is or she is who she is? You know them, one, by their manners, but the second thing you'll know them by, and that's where we're going to start tonight, is you'll know them by their master's imprint. You will see their master. It's the shadow of him. You will see, the, you know, how we say, you can't deny that kid he's yours. You We say how that kid looks like his mother. That kid looks like their dad. That kid looks like their family member, and that is what we're talking about here. The imprint of the master is going to be on the servant of Christ. So when we talk about this um, theme that we have is make me a servant, it is the idea of saying, do you see Christ in me? And it's not saying, oh yeah, I can see Christ in me. Look at the the mirror. Look at I see Christ all over me. It's does do others see Christ in you? How do you know the master's imprint? First thing, their thoughts will be like their master's thoughts. Notice verse 5. It says, let this mind be in you. The word let is a, it's a word of choice. It's to say you will either allow yourself 
to be a servant or not. You will allow yourself to do this deed for Christ or not. So you have to realize it's a choice. It's also a challenge. It's also a a decision that you have to make. It's a determination to say, I choose to be a servant. I will let the mind of Christ guide me as a servant. When your opportunity came up today, and obviously we can't ask everybody what was your moment where you had the opportunity to either be a servant or yourself. Servant should have won. You may have been challenged, but I can't go around and ask everybody, but did you make the right choice? Or did you get halfway into it and say, oh yeah, uh, could we rewind this and let me say this again? You see... It's a choice that we have to make. So when we contemplate being a servant, this example that we get by principle is we have to understand we must make this choice. We have to choose to think like the master thinks. How does he think? We'll go back to the previous passages that we studied last night. They will choose not just to think like him, but they will choose to serve like he did. What is the mind of Christ is found in those previous verses. We talked about a like-mindedness in their heart. We talked about a lowliness in their mind. We spoke about a largeness of their soul to say that they esteem other better themselves. These principles come from Christ himself. And it's a choice that we will make. Will you always make the right choice? I hope more than half the time. And I hope every time you get a little better at it. You say, well, well, Brother O'Malley, it's hard for me. <laughs> welcome, welcome to life. It's hard for all of us. You say, well, you're a preacher. It ought not to be hard for you. I'm a sinner, a big sinner, not just stature. I'm a sinner. I need God's help. Brother Allen, there are some days I'm a better Christian than other days. But this is a matter of saying, God, I want to think like you think. So the thoughts are the first thing that you would notice about the master's imprint. Here's the second thing that you'll notice. Not just the thoughts, but you'll also notice their their desires will be the same as their master's desires. Notice further in verse number six, if you will, we're just looking at some principles tonight. Of example, here's the second principle I want you to realize. Their thoughts, we looked at that in verse 5. Now I want you to see their desire in verse number 6. Notice what it says. Who, or, or sorry, let me finish verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So Christ had uh, this same thought process. And notice what his desire was. He was, notice his name, Christ That's him being the chosen Messiah, Jesus. That's his name for Savior. Verse 6 says, he was in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So here we have Christ or God in the flesh, and God in the flesh chooses to be a servant. What is that? Proper desires. So now when I get myself to the place of saying, am I thinking like the master does? Then I have to realize Christ, his position, Jesus, his pardon, his power, his ability to save. He is equal with God and God in his person and his position and in his power said, I will be a servant. If you walk around saying, I'm too good 
to be a servant. You do not have the mind of Christ. If you walk around thinking that I've been a member of this church so long, I don't need to be a servant. We'll let the younger kids be a servant. But the truth is, is that you and I have to make up our mind. Though he was Christ, he still chose serving. Though he was Savior, Jesus, he still chose serving. Though he was God, he still chose serving. That's an amazing thought to me that you say, well, okay, well, you're the guest preacher. You shouldn't have to do that. No, whatever it is, I should be willing to do and should do. So, well, I'm a deacon here. I'm a Sunday school teacher here. I'm a trustee here. I'm above that. None of us ought to be above any task for the mind of Christ says this. I choose to be a servant. So his desire to serve must be my desire to serve. How's your desire? Is it there? You say, well, if the opportunity presents itself, I'm in. But is that what Christ did? The Bible says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be, in the form of man, thought it not to robbery to be equal with God. And then what does it say he did? He made himself of no reputation. It's quite a unique phrasing there. If I said it to you this way, maybe you would grasp it very quickly. He emptied himself of himself. What was his reputation? <laughs> the only begotten son of God. What was his reputation? Heaven's darling. What was his reputation? He was the creator of the universe. It was he himself who spoke the world into existence. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. He was the one who spoke it all into existence. And he is the one that says, I'll empty me of me. You see, you'll know the master's imprint by the thoughts, by the desire, and thirdly, by the work. What was the work? Well, the first thing I see is this idea that he has emptied himself. Have you ever heard the expression, he's too full of himself? Can you point to something? No, please don't. When someone is too full of themselves, all they can do is talk about who they are and how great they are and how awesome you should think they are because they said they were. They are a legend in their own mind. Christ had all of the credentials and pedigree of being God. And he said, uh, I love the world so much, I'm going to empty me of me. At no point ever did he stop being God. You say, how is that possible? Well, if you're God, that's possible. So he took upon him the form of a servant. What does that mean? He was found in fashion as a man, the Bible says. And so while being, strap your seatbelts on, 100% man, simultaneously, he was 100% God. You said, I could never do that. You're right. <laughs> Nobody could. Only him. 
And this is the one. He is the one who is giving us this example to say. He shows me how to be a servant. By his desire. By his thoughts. And thirdly, by his work. If you ever get somebody who serves at a church who's stuck on themselves, who is filled with themselves, they're of just no use to anybody. If you're that person, stop. For real. You're not helping anyone. Oh, the church could not survive without me. (laughs) There was a lot of things I thought. Most of those weren't Christ-like, so I'm trying to get to the Christ-like one to say. Yes, we can. We might even be happier. But we'd rather see you get right. Because how do you know the master's imprint? Well, the master's imprint is seen by the desire. The master's imprint is seen by the very fact of his work. The master's imprint is seen by the very fact of his work that he is doing. So he emptied himself of dignity but not deity. Of reputation, not righteousness. He emptied himself of himself and became sin for us. Who knew no sin? That the righteousness of God might be found in him. So well, that's a miraculous thing. It is. And this is the princi- these are the principles or our, of our example that we have to say, okay, then this is how I do it. If God wants me to be a servant, then by thought and desire and work or action, this is what I will do. He emptied himself. Notice what else he did. The Bible says, verse 8, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Have you ever had somebody humble you? Christ humbled himself. He took all pride away. You say, how do you do that? That's our example. This is what Christ did. And you look at this and you say, okay, well, how am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to empty myself of me? How am I to humble myself? Well, he obeyed his father's will. The Bible says he was obedient. So he humbled himself. He obeyed. He obeyed to the point where the father said, you must die. How am I going to die? By the death of the cross. So it wasn't just a death of, uh, uh, to say, the humanity aspect of of. Jesus died, but to say that not only that, but you will also have to face the greatest shameful death known to man, and that's to hang on to the cross and suffocate and die on that cross. And Christ said, okay, that's my job as a servant. He took upon him the form of a servant and said, that's what I'll do. So by his work, he carried this out. He humbled himself. He was obedient. He did what his father asked. So well, what are you driving at, Brother O'Malley? I mean, I kind of get the principles. They're kind of working together. Well, there's an example I want to not just teach you, like I hopefully have done in the last few minutes. 
There's an example I want to show you of a time where Christ did this. Go with me to the 13th chapter of the book of John. So I have the example of principles. And now I have the example by way of a picture. Verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil now having put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. You remember the verse? And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He made himself of no reputation, the passage said. This passage simply portrays in a picture for you and I what it genuinely means to be a servant in the, in the imprint of our master. That you see his fingerprint on our soul and you see his fingerprint on our heart and his fingerprint on our mind so that when we are serving, we are doing it like he did. Brother Allen, could you come help me a sec? Sam West, would you come help me a sec? Would you guys just come up here and sit on the front bench for a sec? Just kind of up higher if you could. Like the highest one. (laughs) It's the toughest crowd. I was reluctant to demonstrate this because I don't want it to be seen as a spectacle. I am willing to do so because for me to get something, I have to see it. Here we are, and it's at the uh, feast of the Passover just beforehand. It's, it's ours before Christ will be hustled off, betrayed by Judas, face several trials in the middle of the night, and be sentenced to death on the cross. He's with his disciples in this upper room, and it's they're having this supper. It's prior to the feast of the Passover. The Bible says in verse number 1, Jesus knew that his hour was come. This is he, Jesus, who started the first tick of the clock. Before there was time, there was God. 
And God in eternity past started the clock ticking for all of mankind. He was very aware of the hour that it was. And the second hand was in the son's hand. And when the second hand met the hour hand of the father's hand, then it became clear it was now. It was time. This was the moment for all, huma- for all humanity had waited. And this is all the moment that all of heaven had pined for as well. The darling Son of God will now transition into the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, that would take away the sin of the world. The Bible says that Jesus knew that His hour was come and that He should depart out of this world unto the Father. The Bible says that while He was leaving, He was never stopping loving. He would love His people all the way to the end. There would never be a change that would occur. The Bible says in verse number 2, the supper was ended and the devil put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot. This in this very room met the is the nexus between the redemptive plan of God and the evil evil thwarting of Satan. Satan's every attempt to stop the redemptive plan of God is met in this room. At this very moment that Satan has put into Judas's heart, I do not believe Judas was regenerate, that he was saved. I do believe he was lost. And as I realize, I look at this passage of scripture and I see what it says here. Satan put it into Judas Iscariot to betray the Son of God. Jesus knew this in this moment. He was keenly aware of it, verse number 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hand and that He was come from God, went to God. He knew, Jesus knew, the moment was now. No more waiting, no more putting it off. This was the moment for which all humanity had yearned. And the Bible says, in the most unusual cultural setting, He riseth from supper. If it's not clear to you guys by now, your disciples. They're all seated in kind of this leaning, reclining position from what we understand. I know you saw the picture at the table and it's really not all like that. They're kind of, you know, I hate to ruin your mind's eye on that one. But so they're all kind of leaning and we know that John leaned on the breast of Christ, that he was eating beside him. The Bible says that Christ got up from the table. That normally wouldn't have happened. But he did. The Bible says, if you notice carefully in the verse, it says, and he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments. By no means am I trying to do anything but simply portray to you an image. Christ would be wearing an outer garment. And that outer garment would be set aside if somebody was going to go to work. The only equivalent I could give you tonight is the fact that a man would take off his coat and he would roll up his sleeves. To do what? To work. This is unusual because why would Christ rise from the table and why would Christ do this for these, his disciples? He's the master. He's the Lord. He's the teacher. And he's been eating with them. All of them are in the same situation. And now he chooses to rise from that moment. Because there's something he wants to do. The Bible says that he came. And he got a basin. And this basin that he got. 
allowed him to come along. It's only socially awkward here. It's kind of different for us, isn't it? Why? Why is he doing this? What's the point? Culturally speaking, the moment they came in that house, there should have been a non-Jewish servant to be there to wash the feet of those who came in. Non-Jewish, you say? Oh, yeah. By Hebrew law, a Jew was not allowed to wash the feet of another Jew. It was beneath them. So you talk about the stratum of the different stratum, or the strata, if you will, of uh, servants. You could have, in a rare occasion, you could have a Jewish servant. You could have a Jewish slave, someone who sold themselves into slavery to pay a debt. But there were tasks that that Jewish servant wouldn't even do, or Jewish slave wouldn't do. You would have a non-Jewish servant or slave wash the feet when they came in the room. That day, nobody washed the feet. Why would their feet need to be washed? They're wearing sandals without socks. They're walking through dusty streets. This is just the environment. And so now Christ, he rises and he goes to them. And I I don't, there's no towel big enough in the county that I could find to do this. But picture a towel that would wrap around. And then part of it, after wrapping around, would kind of come over the shoulder. So you have it girded around him tightly. His outer coat is off. And now he's in this place. And the Bible says that he has a basin. And what would be traditionally done is that he would pour water over the foot. And then after doing so, just rest it down with that because I don't have a second thing. He then would take the towel that was on him and part of him. And he would begin to wipe them down. He was touching their feet. But he was really touching their heart. How do you have a moment with the God of all creation and you're looking at him eye to eye and you see him and you know it's him? And he repeated this process. And he comes to the next one and he pours water over this. And if I understand right, there would have to be multiple trips because they would take the water and then pour it over, empty the water, and pour it back. And yet the Son of God would then take this. But wait a minute. Judas too? Judas too. How could you have that moment of, if you'll allow me to say it this way, not a carnal or a vulgar way, but a moment of intimacy with Christ, and He's looking at you eye to eye, knowing that you're going to sell Him out for 30 pieces of silver and a kiss on the cheek, and you will hang yourself, and you will die. And you will go to a Christless eternity. 
And yet the darling son of God said, here, let me get that. I think I got all the dirt off. How do I, how do I do this? What's he doing? He's giving us the example of what Philippians 2 described in principle. He's putting in practice and he made himself of no reputation. He he put himself lower than a non-Jew slave. As low as that. And said, I'll do this. Can you imagine if I were a disciple sitting there and Christ came along and he did that? I'm thinking, you should have done that. One of us should have done this. We should not be letting him do this. Well, he gets to Peter. And of course, it's, I, I don't have time to talk about Peter in the great statements that he says and sometimes stumbles over himself and such. But he say, well, God, you know, hey, if uh, wash me the whole thing if this is what it's going to take. And, and Christ said, hey, you know... If I don't do this, Peter, you don't have a part of who I am. And there's some in this room who don't have a part of who I am. And yet he just washed their feet. He made himself of no reputation. I look at his desire. I look at his thoughts. I look at his work. The three principles I tried to point out to you from Philippians. And I come here and I see this and I see his thought was, they have dirty feet. I can't send them back out at my meal with dirty feet. I have to do something for them. I need to show them that the servant, the master is not greater than his servant. I need to let them see that, that what genuine love and servitude is, is that we meet the most basic practical needs of people. I look at, I see... Those are both feet that I'm looking at here. They're clean. But can you imagine what it had been like maybe a minute or two of Christ rubbing your feet? What love. What passion. What overwhelming sense of gratitude to look in the eyes but when he gets to Judas you're thinking oh my goodness Judas could you not just convert could you not just change your mind could you not do that but the choice of the servant has nothing to do with the people that you're serving you just simply say I'm called to this task and I'll do it he emptied himself Alan, I'm sorry that I made you Judas. Honestly, it wasn't my intention. It it was more about... Judas probably looked like the rest of them. And yet, without distinction, Christ loved all of them. The Bible says, He dried off their feet. And... uh took the towel off of him. Moon, I'm sorry, I've made a mess here. Um, and he goes back. The Bible says that he puts his outer garments back on again.
Bible said, verse 5, he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Peter talks to him in eight and says, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, I got to wash everything for you, Peter. I got to wash your feet. So after he washed his feet, verse 12, he'd taken his garments and he sat down with them again. So now, servant, first, sorry, savior master seated with them, servant lower than the non-Jew slave, now goes back Let me grab my Bible so I don't have to get back up and get it. Now goes back and sits with the same fellows. I imagine at this point, they're thinking, what did he just do? What what just happened? First we were eating, and then the next thing you know, after supper, my feet get washed. I, I don't know about me, and maybe it's kind of cheesy to say it this way, but... Never have feet been washed any better than when the creator of the universe's universe washes your feet and touches your heart. In verse 12, no, he says, know ye what I've done to you? Ye call me master. Um, think of this word as a Highly respectful term meaning teacher. Call me teacher, uh, simply. Someone from whom you'd learn. He said, you call me Lord. That one you'd understand as owner. You call me teacher, someone from whom you should learn. You call me Lord, someone from whom you should obey. And ye say, well, for so I am. He said, I am your master and Lord. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. We're supposed to wash each other's feet? Literally? I'm not mocking. I'm simply stating. There are churches who have elevated foot washing to Lord's Supper and baptism. I am not mocking that at all. I believe in sincerity they hold that. I do not. I don't see the precedent in Scripture for it. In fact, it wasn't until, if I remember right, three or four hundred years later that that really became anything that the church even talked about doing. So when I think about it, then I say just exactly what he said. It's an example, Darren. So there are people who will be assigned to me in my life that I'm to wash their feet. How does that work? So pretend now you're not Disciples, but you're prisoners. Brother Seabass, come here. Brother Van Horn, come here. Your job 
is to go to the prisons. I know it's a divine calling. I'm not minimizing it by just saying it's a trade or an occupation. Your job is to find the prisoner. And your visit to them is what? Washing their feet. Alan's in prison and Sam is in prison. And God sends you guys by their way to say to them, go lift their spirit. Go wash their feet. Go do something for them to show them. Do you think the disciples had any more worth or value than they did that day? To say, Christ washed my feet. And then he says, this is my example. You go do the same. That means there are people that are in your charge that need their feet washed. Not literally. You understand that. Figuratively. Spiritually. So when you go to the prison, you're washing feet. You know that. When you go to the prisons overseas, you're washing people's feet. You're finding the Sams and the Allens and you're saying to them, you've got dirty feet, but I'm going to tell you your value to Christ is worth far more than whatever sentence puts you here. Because no matter what, Jesus buries our past. Jesus makes all things new. And the truth is what sets you free. It takes you and makes you free on that inside. It changes the whole dynamic of your life. Showing up with a gospel track and a Bible in your hand and showing up with a loving word says you're worth something to Christ. Guys, be Leslie, come here. Brother Richie, come here. So, so Sam's in East Africa. And Brother Allen's in Cordova, Alaska. God's called you, Brother Leslie, to go to Cordova, Alaska. And He's called you to do one thing. To show them their value. And show them their worth. So He's called on you and He's asked you to take their feet and show them their worth. It wasn't all about the feet, Brother Richie. It was about the heart. It was about the very fact of saying, while I'm cleaning your feet, I want you to know this action is to show you I love you. And when you, and uh, you're in East Africa, so we get you over here, and we say, okay, it's this activity to say, I'm washing your feet because I want you to know your worth to my Savior is worth everything. Being a servant says... I'll wash the feet of anyone. You ready for that? He said, where's my Bible? Just borrow it. You got it? We get to this last verse and we'll close. Where's Brother Farley when you need him? I can't find John 13 now. Verily, verse 16, Verily I say unto you that the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that sent greater than he that is that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. I'm just not happy. Go wash some feet. Washing the feet 
changes the washer, not just the washed. I wish I could be happy. I struggle with depression. I struggle with with sadness. I struggle with grief and anxiety. Okay. I got a cure. Go wash some feet. Let me give you three things to think about. Guys, just stay right where you are. These are things that I learned as I read this passage today. One, and I say passages, both Philippians and here. Never let your position keep you from serving others. He was the Son of God, and He did this. Number two, never let your priorities keep you from serving others. Hey, I, I got to go to the cross here. I got I to gotta get the whole thing done with redemption of men. I don't have time with this. But what a loving act. With washed feet, Peter will deny him. With washed feet, Judas will kiss him and sell him out. With washed feet, Judas will hang himself. With washed feet, all the disciples will go away. With washed feet... You say, well, Brother O'Malley, why is it worth it? Number three, never let people keep you from serving them. You say, well, well, Alan might betray me. Sam might sell out. Your job is just to wash feet. Never let your priorities, never let people. Number four, true happiness only comes when you wash people's feet. So I say to you, in the words of our Savior, happy are ye if you do that. I know, guys, you didn't plan on coming to church tonight and have your socks and shoes taken off. And I appreciate your patience with me and trusting me. And I hope I haven't embarrassed you by any means. But I, when I prayed about doing this, I... The Lord put you two on my heart. Because I felt like you would trust me. There's some people in your life whose feet need washing. Who's going to gird a towel for the bus ministry? Who's going to gird a towel for the nursery? Who's going to gird a towel for the Sunday school classes? Who's going to gird a towel for our senior citizens and our shut-ins? Who's going to gird a towel and say, God, I will wash the feet of any you ask me. I will not hesitate. Who will go to the jails and wash feet? Why did our brother have to say there were jails and prisons nearby that he can't get into but twice a year because he doesn't have staffing and personnel? Why did he have to say that? Well, maybe because God wanted him to say that because somebody with a towel was here who could go wash the feet of a prisoner. You want to find joy? Start serving. You want to find happiness? Start washing feet. Get a little bus kid. Wash his feet. Get a prisoner. Wash his feet. Find a senior citizen who's shut in and by himself. Show up with lunch and just sit there and wash your feet. Find, 
find somebody that needs the love of Christ demonstrated to them. It'll change you more, I promise you. But never be too high and never be too haughty to stoop and say, Sam, could I wash your feet again? Could I, could I just take and wash your feet? Alan, could, could there just be something I could do for you? Could I, could I just commit a day of fasting and prayer for you? Could, could I just take a day? And I'm sorry, I'm sweating on your feet there. I, 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 uh, could, I, could I just give a, a day of my life just to pray for you, Alan? Sam, could I, could I just stop and take a whole day and just pray for your kids? You say, what does that do? It changes tomorrow. I wonder who here tonight would say, I'm willing to wash someone's feet. Not to have my own happiness, but to serve my God. Say, I could never do that. In fact, I can't even believe you touched their feet. You're the kind of person that needed this message too. Would you stand with me?